Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. You know, we, we just we have this thing about doing shows multiple weeks in a row. It's a struggle. <laughs> Basically, pro- Stella has not found her groove yet since <laughs> we moved. We'll probably do a show next week. Maybe. But not the week after that. Well, okay, it's the holiday season. Basically, any show after this one until March is a gift. We try and be fairly consistent. With yes. the move, it's been challenging, but we try and be fairly consistent. But see, also, we are we have our own struggles. Speaking <laughs> of gift-giving experiences. Somebody needs to give me a gift? You know what I'm not giving you this year? Tickets to a Formula One race. Well, okay, yes, but that's because I can't figure out your schedule. Um, a retired Formula One car. Absolutely not. We See, cannot fit another car in the garage. See, I mean, you have said you know what I, you're not getting me. This list could go on a really long time. Okay, the show needs to stick to it <laughs> an hour or less. So I mean, we're let, gonna... let's be clear. The, the, this list could get really long really fast. So okay, I'm maybe not... a different approach might be in order here. <laughs> Okay. What I'm not getting you this year is F1 cologne perfume thing. Have you heard of this yet? What? Apparently F1 is coming out with six unisex fragrances. The first three have been released. I believe they retail for around $10,000. That comma is in the appropriate location. Well, that takes out my theory as to what they were probably going to smell like because you don't need to pay ten thousand dollars for um post-race sweat no 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 these are highly refined fragrances um i believe the first one that's been released is called p1 maybe but apparently Vettel number five is one of the fragrances oh and i forgot what the other one was So, so what what is Vettel number five. High ex- it, it smells like high expectations and a low turnout. I don't know. <laughs> poor, apparently the result. Apparently the one that um, Jenny Gao was showing off had a lot of citrus notes to it. Um, she said she would not personally wear it, but she would find it attractive on a man. And then all of a sudden, all the men on the podcast claimed that they would wear it. So all <laughs> I'm saying. Is... The, the problem is she's married. She she didn't say she wanted them to wear it. She just said it would smell good on a man. And all of a sudden, all the boys were like, yeah, I totally wear that. I just found that interesting. Throwing it out Mm -hmm. there. So let's see. We could also go with, um, do we call it Marusha and it's just bankruptcy? No. No. Nor do we have one that's called Maldonado that smells like burning tires and broken body parts. Post-race exhalation. Is the air captured when Pirelli uh, deflates the tires and takes them off of the wheels? I could come up with all kinds of great stuff here. I think we should probably move on because this is going to go downhill quickly. I'm just, you know, trying to share that if you are shopping and you have an extra $10,000 to spend, there is a unisex 
sex fragrance that you could possibly give your loved ones. However, I don't love you $10,000 worth. Well, there you go. There's a price on it now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I don't love you $10,000 fragrance worth. Oh, okay. Anyway, other, let's actually, we're going to quickly jump over to IndyCar. I don't love them ten thousand dollar fragrance worth either. Well, but IndyCar's fragrance would probably do that. would probably be much more like nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, they they would be much more reasonable <laughs> because their merchandise doesn't try and totally gouge you. Anyway, um, IndyCar has confirmed that they have had exploratory discussions about staging a race in Sydney. Now this is different from what we we've heard rumors about this before. Actually, not even rumors, but confirmation that IndyCar has been talking to uh, the government of Queensland Mm -hmm. about bringing a race back to Surfers Paradise. They've had a race there before uh, for 17 years. What's been holding that up, though, is uh, a date to hold the race because IndyCar wants to have the race in February. Okay. Um, And everyone agrees that what makes the most sense is to tie in, is not to do a dedicated IndyCar weekend, but for this to be side to side with an Australian Supercars event, which is as big, if not bigger, than than what NASCAR is in the states down in Australia, it's a big event. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is um, the Gold Coast event, which is the one in Surfers Paradise. That's in October, February, October. That doesn't quite work. So the latest possible scenario that they're looking at is well what about sydney so sydney motorsports park uh, again a double bill with the supercars there's a possibility of maybe they do it there sydney motorsports park used to hold supercars they don't anymore but there's been new south wales has invested quite a quite a bit of money into the park um where the challenge then becomes is Adelaide is already contractually, well, has a contractual obligation with uh, the Supercar Series to be their series opener. Okay. And that contract goes to 2021. So they'd have to work something out if there was a race before 2021 that they were going to double bill that either Adelaide lets Sydney host the opener or they have to wait until after 2021 and rewrite the Adelaide contract in order to bring IndyCar down to double bill it with supercars so that they could host a race in February as the opening of the supercar series and the IndyCar series. My head hurts. Okay. (laughs) So basically you're telling me they're still interested in going to Australia with the IndyCars, but timing, location, and contracts are all standing in their way. Yeah. Got it. They're still working on it. It may happen. Okay, they're still working on a Miami race for Formula One, too, and it may happen also. Honestly, but I think this is more likely to happen. It may take longer for it to happen, but I think it's more likely to happen than a race in Miami. You know, we have notoriously propositioned all sorts of different solutions to various problems within the motorsport community. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps what we need to do is start a like running poll. Uh, like a, I don't know, a friendly wager, as it were. Which will happen first? A Miami race confirmation or an Australian IndyCar confirmation? Australia. I would argue to say at this point, 
it's more likely that we're going to get a confirmation of a race in New Jersey than in Miami. <laughs> I don't think anybody's still searching for a race in New Jersey except your son. My point exactly. <laughs> I think the, New, the, the Miami race ain't happening. <clears throat> or if it does, there's going to be a lot more bribes coming. Dumber things Much have happened. Bribes. Anyway, other Power news. Card. So we mentioned in our last show that there were rumors that Renus VK was about to get a seat with Ed Carpenter Racing. It is confirmed now. Not a rumor any longer. Not a rumor. He has a full season ride with Ed Carpenter Racing. So when we met Renus Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago when he was in the Mazda Road to Indy series, Mm -hmm. not even Indy Lights, but like the precursor to that, he won one of the races that we saw him in. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was up on the podium, and I got a picture of him up on the podium, and I told him, when I got the picture, this is so I can say I knew you when you make it to IndyCar. (laughs) So I'm super excited for him because he was all like, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's like really going to happen or, you know, some sort of false modesty. But I'm like, I'm going to get to say I knew you when. So Road America, we've got to make a point of getting up there. And then... So you can see see Renus and show him the picture. Yeah. Possibly print it out and bring it with you. I should do that so he can sign it. There you go. Yeah, and that way I can also get a picture of him in his IndyCar uniform. And then, you know, I'll have both of them. So the other bit of confirmation that has come out... Which makes me sad. ...is that Ed Carpenter Racing has said that Nico Hulkenberg will not be joining the team. And he put that out the day that our podcast posted. I'm very sad by this. I was really excited about the possibility of another F1 driver defecting to IndyCar because I really like Nico Hulkenberg. I have liked him for a long time. He's a good guy. Well, you know, Fernando Alonso says that he's trying to race in Indianapolis this year or in in 2020. That's awesome. That wasn't... As exciting to me you as You said Hulk. another Formula One driver. I'm yeah, just... but Fernando's done it before and failed. So... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think the odds of him getting a seat this year are much slimmer. Oh, yeah. Because I don't see a reason why McLaren would go and offer him a seat at this point. True. I mean... Yes, they could pull out a third car for this entry. It, it, it's not unusual for that. But he would have been better off saying, I'll race a full season. That's the thing. is by not racing a full season, I think he's cutting his nose off despite his face. But then again, we have chronicled many hours of how Fernando is the worst thing for, her, for Fernando's career. Back to Nico. Okay. Anyway, I'm going to miss Nico in IndyCar because, again, I like him. He's a nice guy, and he's he's really a good driver. I mean, I just think that he suffered the wrong timing, wrong team thing. And today during the Abu Dhabi race, I was really hoping because he was, like, pushing hard and, like, could you possibly get up there? Could you wind up on a podium even in this last race? That would have been awesome. It would have been amazing, and it would have been, you know, a huge thumb in the nose to to both Renault and, to some extent, to Daniel Ricciardo, too. True. Um, but, yeah, 
Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Um, Ferrari is insistent that no, they're they're not burning oil illegally. That really and truly, their issue is because of aero. They're slower because they made aerodynamic changes to the car and they don't have the speed that they had before. And oh, by the way, Mercedes and, and Red Bull, they were just fast in Brazil. That's it. They were just fast. Okay, so I got a question for you. I've thought about this defense for a while. Okay. Like all of 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you a question. Okay. Let's pretend you're riding a bicycle. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you're riding along and you're like super, super fast. And you put it in a gear and you slow down. Nothing else has changed, but you change your gear and you slow down. Mm-hmm. But you want to go really, really fast. Do you go back to the gear you were before? My point being, if it's arrow changes to the car, that are slowing them down. Why would they not just put the arrow bits back on? There's a lot of reasons why. And what Ferrari will tell you is that with the championship dusted, this is unofficial testing. And to some extent, Lewis has said that he is doing that now. He is playing with setups. He is playing with driving styles. He is playing with all of this and, and has, has gone so far as to say that the last two races um, up until this weekend, the car was really kind of unstable and unpredictable because he was playing with stuff. To some extent, that that's the argument that Ferrari can have at this point is that this is free test and development that they can use to test out things for the 2020 car. And try and understand, while yes, they had a, a faster straight line speed and slower cornering, real world, what the effects of making changes are to boost their cornering speeds. Oh. That's, that's the argument and that's the, that's the reasoning that Ferrari will give you. I, I acknowledge that, that argument. However, they... When they got told to stop burning fuel mm-hmm. or burning oil, or let me put it this way, when the letter was written and the determination was made that you should not be doing this, and they suddenly were slower, mm-hmm. the championship was not dusted. They stayed slower. Uh, yeah, it was. Because Mercedes had the championship settled before Texas, and it was Texas that they slowed down. Was it Texas that they slowed down? I thought yep. they slowed down in Mexico. No, it was Texas. It was the first time they slowed down, and everyone was like, what happened to Ferrari's pace? Okay. So, okay, it could be unofficial testing, but even still, if you are testing something and it slows you down, you tend to either go backwards or to make other modifications and, and that's the thing. It, it depends on what they were testing and how they changed it and what the course was. Because, yes, it may have slowed them down, and maybe their answer is, well, let's change this now and see what it does, and let's change. That may be what this is, is it's the cycle of we're making targeted specific modifications and looking at how they interact with each other. 
And if this dirties up the air this way, let's leave it in place and make a change over here and see what happens. Okay. What part of Ferrari's 2019 strategy says to you that they have thought that well in advance? They've not been master strategists. They haven't been master strategists, but when it comes to a test and development, we have seen this kind of thing before. I mean, that, that that's normal process. Where I question Ferrari saying that this is due to aero changes, and yeah, there, there's been some minor tweaks on the car, is that when they make a significant change aero-wise to the car, everybody knows. And everybody knows exactly what was done and why it was done and where it was done. And they can tell from looking at it a general idea of how it's going to affect things on the car. Nobody's come out and said, yeah, Mattia Bonotto says that we made aero changes to make the car faster in the corners. And we can see that there are these slats have been added over here. And these things are over here to go and turn the air this way and make it run over. We haven't heard any of that. That's where the story falls apart. I think the story falls apart with the sheer timing of it 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 certainly is oddly coincidental that is what i'll say about that it is oddly coincidental obviously this is enough of a concern that there's going to be a change for next year yeah um the fia is adding an a, a second uh fuel flow sensor uh, this one will be in the fuel tank, and all we know about it is that um, it is only used as specified by the FIA. Now, the FIA isn't saying specifically as to why this is being implemented, what the, the full goal of it is. We do know it has something to do with fuel flow, and we know that the, you know, the, the fuel rate is restricted to 100 kilograms an hour, but... Could there be other things going on? We don't know. Yeah. I'm hoping that it's detecting for oil as fuel in the fuel tank. Well, I, I think that may be some of it, is that if they start seeing changes in the flow of fuel that they can't explain through other methods, it may trigger them to take a further look and, and do some sampling to see if there's oil going into it. I think this is an important, important thing to watch for because I personally think Ferrari was burning oil. Honestly, I think the whole burning oil thing's overblown, but whatever. I think that they you were... You think tires is overblown? I think burning oil is overblown. There you go. I think that if anything is going to be overblown, it is the tires over running oil. I will tell you, I call Ferrari very loose with the edges of the rules. I won't call it, come out and quite say that they are cheater cheaters, pumpkin eaters, but I will say they are playing fast and loose with the edges of the rules. Well, that is what Formula One teams do. That's what we like to see them do. Is to push the I'm just edges thinking as they far pushed as a, they a little can. further than they were supposed to push. I like pushing. I just want them to so, stay on this side of the world. So, in, in terms of pushing, yes. Um, would you consider this more or less egregious than deliberately taking an engine panel, or deliberately taking 
a grid penalty by breaking Park Ferme regulations on one of your driver's cars so that it would promote your other driver and give them a better starting point in the race. It wasn't to promote him. It was to give him the good side of the track. It was, but it moved him up a position as well. It did both of those things. And yes, I think that that was utterly and completely egregious, mostly because it hurt Felipe. So just that reminder, 2012 Brazilian Grand Prix, last race of the year, tight race between uh, for the Drivers' Championship between Sebastian Vettel and Fernando Alonso. Felipe Massa out-qualifies Fernando Alonso by one position, and Ferrari turns around and breaks the seal on Felipe's engine because you're not allowed to do that, which automatically... They, not, they gives clipped him a grid. the wire tie on it and then called the FIA over and said, look, we broke this. Yeah. Demote him. <laughs> Which give, gave Felipe a penalty and moved um, Fernando one position up and, of course, moved him over to start on the other side on of the, the track. Clean on the, the clean side of the track. On the clean side of the track. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that was 2012. Yes, that was Ferrari. And that's why I tend to... Accuse them of being cheater, cheater, punk in the ears. Anyway, in other stuff, I'm, I'm not sure what you're looking up in the great big book of everything. I'm looking stuff up in the great big book of everything. Um, Esteban Ocon got the green light to test for Renault uh, this week. Uh, so traditionally, right after the, uh, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, there's three days of test or two days of testing. Uh, these will be tire tests this year. Uh, but Esteban Ocon has been given the green light to join the team. He's been released from Mercedes and will be taking part in those tests for Renault. And speaking of tires, we'll get to tires in a sec. Um, Zandvoort has, an, you know, there, there's a lot of concern about what racing is going to be like over at Zandvoort. Because Zandvoort's not, with its layout, it's not known for being conducive to passing. So the owners of Zandvoort, in preparation for the race this year, um, they've made some changes to a couple of the turns, specifically the third uh, or corner three and the final corner. The final corner, they're going to go and bank the curve or bank the turn to a 32% grade, which works out to about 18 degrees. Oh, my. So... By comparison, uh, the Indian uh, the banking over at uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is nine degrees. Okay. So double the banking in Indianapolis. Mm. The banking at the old part of Monza, not where they race, but you know the one where they like to show the pictures of of folks trying to climb to the top of the banking and failing yes that that section of the track that banking is oh i just lost it i had it again um that's 21 degrees okay daytona motor speedway yes that banking there if you've ever seen the uh the pictures of them paving the track it's it's actually kind of fascinating where um the asphalt laying machines they're basically tethered to the wall <laughs> so that they can make it around. Oh, wow. That banking is 31 degrees. 
Zandvoort's at 18. Now, why that's truly significant, though, is that so back in 2005, one of the most infamous races in Formula One history at Indianapolis, the U.S. Grand Prix, the one where Noreen Karthikainen, I believe, uh, came in at top 10. Well, there were only six people that uh, drove that year. Yeah, half, half the grid uh, refused to run the race. They, immediately after the formation lap, they pulled into the pits and refused to form up uh, because of concerns about the Michelin tires uh, exploding due to the pressures. It was because of the banking and the pressures that they had to run. So Pirelli is arguably fairly concerned about this decision by Zanvoort to bank the corners there uh, and bank them more than what's over in Indianapolis. The only thing that they can do, which the teams don't like already, is to mandate higher tire pressures. All right. That's their only option. I don't like this so plan. So the, the whole idea that they're doing this, especially in the last corner, is that I guess with the banking, it should allow cars to race side by side through the corner. Mm-hmm. Because they can carry more speed and they can use the banking in order to do that. And they don't. it gives them more options for a racing line. Hopefully giving them some, some potential passing areas that they don't have now. So that's why Zandvoort's trying to do it. Is it still up for discussion or have they decided to do it? They've said they're doing it. And the FIA hasn't come back and said, "Um, no, you can't do that. So I guess as long as the track still gets its grade one certification from the FIA, once the modifications are done, this is happening. So I looked up in the Great Big Book of Everything Mm -hmm. because I thought it would be interesting to relive their summary of the uh, 2005 U.S. Grand Prix in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. So Indy's long-banked final corner, that's turn 13, Mm -hmm. placed exceptional loads on the left rear. On Friday, Ralph Schumacher experienced a horror uh, 2004 deja vu crashing he- heavily at said corner due to a failure of said tire a bewildering saturday ensued michelin announcing that their tires were unsafe to race on sunday morning attempts by the organizers to insert a temporary chicane had been vetoed by the fia and ferrari shocking so after the parade lap, the Michelin runners retired en masse, the three Bridgestone teams taking the grid. The crowd was, were first bemused, later incensed. Ninety um, farcical minutes later came the inevitable Ferrari 1-2, Schumacher snatching victory in a close context as he exited the pits for the second time. The crowd pelted the track in disgust. Mm-hmm. The three teams that ran were Ferrari, Jordan Toyota, mm-hmm. and Minardi Cosworth. And Noreen Carthikanian came in fourth. Fourth. Just, yeah. I was right. He was in the top ten. Well, there were <laughs> only six drivers. <laughs> All of the drivers were in the top ten. Yeah. All <laughs> of them. Because <laughs> there were six and they came in, in one twos in their 
by their teams. So it was Ferrari 1-2, mm-hmm. Jordan 3-4, <laughs> Minardi 5-6. Yep. So that's the story of 2005. Yeah. Hopefully we will not run into a similar situation. I hope not because Zanfort has got such potential of having, I mean, can you imagine what the Orange Army is going to be like? Oh, man. At that race? If Pirelli can't get a tire that is safe on that track. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, that's going to be ugly. It's going to be super ugly. Now, it's also going to be super ugly if Max can't get the tire to work right, even if they do have a tire that's safe to run on that track. But that's Mm. a story for another day at another time. Now, the the other thing that I should point out is that... um, the only other option that could potentially be brought in here would be to do a special tire construction just for the track. Mm-hmm. They're not allowed to do that. Oh, excellent. It's not allowed in the contract. They're supposed to run the same approved tire construction for the whole season. So Maybe it'll rain. Yeah, that that could be the only hope right now. <laughs> At least, if you're Pirelli, you're praying for rain. Um, but, yeah, this is going to be interesting to see what happens here. We are hoping that uh, the tires can handle this. Well, okay. Michelin, if we go back to the Indy, mm-hmm. Michelin said their tire was unsafe. Right. Bridgestone had a tire that was safe. Right. So maybe, and I don't know what the difference is in construction, and it is possible that that Pirelli can come up with a tire that would work for the season that will meet this need. But what you need to remember, though, is that right now, as it stands, the 2020 tires nobody likes them. Correct. And we're going to talk about that in a bit. Nobody likes those tires, but those tires, that design, that construction was put out there before Zandvoort said, "Hey, we're putting in this bank." And if they don't go with the 2020 tires, then they, they don't go to the 2019, 2019 tires, which again, were engineered and designed before Zandvoort said, hey, we're putting in this bank. <sighs> so we got to cross our fingers here. Yeah, we do. And guess what? We're going to get to talk about tires even more, right? As always. But oh. before we do that. Oh, got to get a break. Yes. Uh... Honda has confirmed that they will at least remain with with uh, Red Bull and Toro Rosso supplying engines through the end of the 2021 season. Okay. That's, you know, it was up in the air as to whether or not they were going beyond 2020. And since they hadn't seen huge success up until, well, they were everybody's whipping boy <laughs> up until this year. Um, this is actually really good news. I am very happy to hear that they're going to be sticking around. Um, other news, uh, and actually it's not huge news, but, uh, Formula 2, uh, runner-up. He didn't win the Formula 2 season, uh, but, uh, Formula 2 runner-up Nicholas Latifi has been named Williams' new driver, replacing Robert Kubica. Yes. I heard that. You have concerns because they're going to have two very junior drivers. That's... Yeah. That that that's where I I don't see uh the pain at Williams ending anytime soon. 
I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping that they've got something right in the car because that would help significantly. I mean, everybody's saying that George is a really good driver. And quite frankly, he put that car within three-tenths of the next closest car, which is amazing considering how bad that car's been this year. George is a fantastic driver, and there's a lot of promise there. What my concern is is that they need more than just a good promising driver and, and Williams you know their, their feeling is they like to give these young drivers a start they like to give them a, and I agree with that you got George stick with George <laughs> you need somebody to back him up from a development perspective you need somebody who can turn around and help them address the issues with the car yeah well we'll see how that goes um maybe Williams will have a good car before George starts getting chin hair. Because he doesn't have any now. Ouch. Okay. Hey, in other news, this weekend Haas trialed a new simulator for the first time. So what this is, it's actually, is, as I learn more about it, it's actually kind of cool what they do here. So they have worked very closely with Delara. Delara builds their cars. Or at least builds the chassis. Mm -hmm. By the way, Delar is also the one that builds the IndyCar chassis. This the, the standard, standard IndyCar. That's who does that. Um, but they built out a Haas-specific F1 simulator at the Delara facility in Italy. What it the whole intention of it is that as they're making change or, or they're considering making changes to the race setup over the course of a race weekend. They can use this simulator to figure out what the effects are. Cool. So, brand new simulator to do that and work on it with Delara. Uh, Patricio Award had been their simulator driver who was helping with this. Um, but, act, or I'm sorry, not uh, Patricio Award, uh, Pietro Fittipaldi. Oh, okay. Um, had been the driver. Uh, but they're looking for somebody new. So, the rumor has been that Robert Kubica potentially would be taking that role. We do know, and, and Gunther has confirmed that they are very interested in Robert coming over to take on the test, the, the development. And yeah, I don't know if it's a development position, but it's a test and simulation driver uh, and possibly a reserve driver role as well. But now there's a rumbling that maybe Racing Point has an inside line. Interesting. So all Robert will say is, you know, he, he's got interest from teams. There's a lot of factors, and one of those factors is his own sponsors. Mm -hmm. So that may be some of it is who's willing to put his sponsor on the car. That's interesting. I mean, quite frankly, Kabitza is a very smart guy. Mm -hmm. And he's done really well to help grow a car even with his own physical limitations yeah so i'm excited to hear that he could be he could transition into some of the back end work to develop and improve a formula one car that could be how he continues with the sport which is a yeah. much better way to continue with the sport than nico rosberg <laughs> we're we're not, we're not going to nico bash right now i want to nico bash but you know while we're talking about haas so a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't throw it in here. I meant to throw the story in here. But a couple of weeks ago, Gunther Steiner was asked, you know, as we're winding up the season, what could you do better? What you, it wasn't quite the full-on performance review. But one of the things that Gunther said was, 
well, you know, in developing this car this year and all the problems we've had, we probably should have listened to our drivers a bit more in the feedback that they gave us. Oh, wow. And I'm like, really? Wow. <laughs> That's where you're going to go. You didn't listen to your drivers, and then you went and re-signed Roman Grosjean because you said you didn't deliver him a good car. Whose fault is that? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Roman should put that in his performance review. Yeah. Um, Roman also said this weekend that, that he will not be missing this car at all. <laughs> he is very happy to see it going to, to the museum. Yeah. I, I think he's going to push it there himself. <laughs> Drop off the keys and go, yeah. it's yours now. <laughs> you can park this one all by yourself. <laughs> so, in our continuing efforts to follow the private lives of the drivers, we follow the private lives of the drivers? Well, where we can, without being stalkers. I mean... Because, you know, let's not get carried away. Now, this piece of news, sad that it may be, may actually turn you into a stalker. <laughs> I, that, that, that is a risk that, that is about to happen here. I'm accepting that risk. But it is the not good news. The fact that you're news. sharing this news yeah. that could turn me into a stalker is a little frightening because I know what the news not is. Not good news, but... so. On Twitter this week, Valtteri Bottas released a statement. Okay. And this is all the discussion that he has allowed on this issue. Um, it reads, quote, Unfortunately, I have to let you know that the marriage between Amelia and myself has come to an end. Our ways have split because of the challenges my career and life situation bring, and we think this is the best for both of us and our future lives. So we are separating as friends. I will be forever thankful for all the sacrifices she had to make for me, for her support during many years, and for all the experiences that we have had together. I trust that you will respect both of us and our privacy regarding this matter. This will be all I have to say and comment regarding our divorce. And if you would like to read it in the original finish, you can do that in his Twitter feed as well. I will not attempt to read it. <laughs> wow. In classic style he shut the door on any follow-up question whatsoever yeah but i thought it was really interesting the our ways have split because of the challenges of my career and life situation bring you're wondering what his life situation is that caused it, a challenge it, it was more the fact that that f1 was i mean clearly it, it's him being a racing driver and the impact that that's having on the relate, at least according to this. I know. I don't, I don't know what it would be like to be married to a racing driver, so I can't imagine. <laughs> I've been trying, man. Nobody will give me a drive. <laughs> again. I'm trying to give you what it's like to be married to a racing driver, but. Again, you can't get a super license by pulling out a Sharpie and writing super on it. It's not how it works. But it's how you get hurricanes to go to Alabama. So <laughs> how, how is that not the case? Mm. thought we were doing this now. No, I, I'm i very sad for Valtteri. Um, and it pains me to see Formula One be so intense that it could break up a marriage. I mean, you hope, you wish, you want people to have Jackie Stewart kinds of marriages. Mm -hmm. Um you want the ones that endure everything. You you look at you you look at Toto and Susie, and they go a thousand different directions, and they have dates in airports. 
admittedly having dates in airports. <laughs> and you hope that some of these people have that kind of stability and support and understanding back home because their life sucks in a lot of ways. It's hard. Yeah. Um, you know, we say, I, I think a lot about we've watched Hamilton grow up mm-hmm. in all of the years and even the years before we knew him. And you knew when he was fighting with a relationship, when he had a, a rough spot with his relationship with Nicole. And I'm, there's a lot of him being a six-time world champion that you credit for him not having a wife and kids. Yeah. And but incredibly supportive and um there for him family that he has. I mean, he's got an incredible support structure mm-hmm. with his family and always quick to to be complimentary and thankful for them knowing what he's got. And you kind of hope that everybody's got that back home. But, you know, not to defend Nico Rosberg because I don't ever do that. But he even talked about one of the things that got him to retire was the strain that that world championship winning season put on him and his marriage. Yeah. And and what he had to dedicate to it. So, I mean, Valtteri is young and I feel sorry for him because that was one of those relationships that you just really, you were pulling for mostly because he's so sweet and you kind of hope that she's just as sweet and you, you want them to, to last. So I'm sad for him and I know you don't want to talk about it and I respect your privacy. So we're going to shut up now. Hey, speaking of the, the Wolf family, since you, you mentioned it, so Susie put up a, a picture on Twitter early last week. Um, it, it, it was a picture taken on the beach um, with Jack and Toto carrying a couple of buckets. And Susie captioned it that that was probably the only person who could order Toto to carry his water. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how sweet. How sweet. Yeah. I hope Jack's a racing driver. I hope he's good, too. That would be awesome. Oh, and I hope he's good. And also, you know, on the whole... Susie Wolf, Wolf Connections and Williams and all of that. So Williams title sponsor Rocket mm-hmm. ha- announced this week that they have signed, and I think it's a title sponsorship deal, but they have signed a sponsorship deal with the Venturi Formula E team. Susie. Susie's team. And honestly, Formula E, you may want to go and pay a little bit more attention to it. Just from that perspective of, You've got Mercedes now in Formula E and doing fairly well. And while admittedly, Toto's not the team principal for the Formula E team, he is involved in the leadership of the entire uh, Mercedes-AMG performance, including the Formula E team. Mm -hmm. There is some role that he plays in that. And now Susie's team principal of her own team in Formula E. Yeah. That could be interesting. Only if they keep that out of their house but you know i mean toto was team principal at mercedes while Susie was test and development driver for williams nothing was better than her standing in the williams garage texting toto and saying did you just pull a dummy Mm -hmm. when yeah how (laughs) dare you (laughs) but um and that that was those were awesome stories i miss Susie on the grid yeah 
I do miss her on the grid. Um, I think she grounds Toto in so very many ways. You know, probably. Um, And him the other way, too. One of the things I was listening to on the Five Live podcast was talking about how Toto really has transformed the Mercedes team to how they work together. Oh, absolutely. That is a credit to Toto's management style. And actually, if you go back, um, and, and as much as we don't talk too much about Formula One's on the grid or beyond the grid podcast, mm-hmm. but Tom Clarkson interviewed Toto earlier this year. Um, and Toto talked a lot about how he has changed it. And when Tom Clarkson did his podcast with James Allison, James Allison also talked about the impact that Toto has had on the team. Well, one of the things about the Five Live podcast was they were contrasting um, the Ferrari model to Mm -hmm. the Mercedes model and talking about how a lot of Ferrari's issues that they've experienced this year are inherent in the organization and that if you you can't just say well that's that's the way these things work because you could look over at mercedes and see what toto has done and it's different it's better yeah um but i'm gonna say that i think the successes that we've that we've seen at ferrari when things have gone well at ferrari i I think that is direct credit to mattia Binotto and the completely difference in style that he has and difference in the way he has run that team compared to Maurizio Arriva Bene. Well, and I think you're right. I think that they're seeing some beginnings of some success and maybe with enough years of Bonotto, we'll see a fundamental shift. Mm-hmm. But they've had one. So yeah. he, he's got to be around. The, Harry the, Potter's got to yeah. be around for a little bit longer to make that happen and boy does he need different glasses (laughs) hey in other news so mclaren it wasn't that long ago like within the last two years that we looked at the mclaren and we're like wow that car's really barren Mm -hmm. there's like nothing on this car uh and and we kind of questioned whether or not zach brown as much as he talked about getting new sponsors we kind of questioned as to whether or not he'd pull that off if it was as much of a priority as he kept saying it was. He's pulling it off. Uh, you know, you look at the car now compared to where it was two years ago, and there's a lot more sponsors on the car. Word has now come out uh, that uh, British American ta- Tobacco is, uh, they're, they're not going all the way to a title sponsorship deal, uh, but they are significantly expanding their partnership with McLaren. Uh Already, they've got quite a bit of their branding on the car. There is more coming for next year. Zach Brown assures us that the papaya orange is staying. Okay. Um, they, they are not going away from that, but there is more branding for from British American Tobacco. And if you're like me, you're going, well, wait a minute. How are they pulling that off? The best that I understand is that they're getting around it because these are e-cigarette brands and i think it's the vipe branding that's on the car now Mm. is what what they're putting more on the car i 
think that's what, what's going on. The other thing that British American Tobacco announced is that they're going to be a, a major sponsor for the IndyCar, the McLaren IndyCar team as well. So I'm guessing we'll get a little more insight as to how they're pulling this off. What I don't completely understand is how they've been able to stay out of trouble with it, but the Mission Winnow branding on the Ferraris has been an issue. Hmm. They pulled it off the car multiple times, and now Mission Winnow is Philip Morris's e-cig brand. And they pulled it off for Australia, and they pulled it off for like two other races because they were concerned that they would get in trouble with tobacco advertising. But we never heard anything about McLaren running into issues. So I don't know how that works. Maybe they pull it off the car and just don't make a big deal out of it, too. You know, it's off again, on again that we just don't notice and that type of thing. But, yeah, I don't know. And with the publicity about e-cigs coming up... uh, I don't know how long that's going to last for them. I mean, that's that's, that's some thing. dangerous, like it could get pulled money pretty quick. Yeah. So that'll be an interesting thing to follow. Well, you know, you don't need to worry about it at all. If they lose the British American tobacco deal, Rich Energy's right there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want to take that bait? I'm not even. No. Well, b- because of that, since you refuse to take that bait, we're talking about tires. Oh, <laughs> I want to talk about Richard. No, I don't. So I don't want to talk about tires either. Can we like skip both of those topics? Well, actually, it, it's I'll take door number three. Kind of important right now because so the teams first tested the tires in Austin. They didn't like them. They didn't like the reduced grip. They didn't like how they were working. Um, we have another tire test that's coming this week. To see if maybe things are a little better. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they would think things would be a little better, but maybe the things are a little better. Um, if they're not, we revert back to the 2019 tire design. Correct. Well, the teams have to vote on it, and I think it's seven of the teams. If they, they approve, they go back to the 2019. But even that's not a slam dunk. The problem is the mid-pack teams, they're really kind of upset that we haven't settled on a tire design. Um there is a change in the shape of the shoulder for the 2020 tires. That's a concern to the teams because that change in the shape impacts how the air interacts with the floor of the car. So if they go back to the 2019 tires, that's an aerodynamic change to the car that they have to re-engineer with three months to winter testing. The mid-pack teams are not happy about it. I can't imagine anybody's actually really happy about that. Yeah. But they all are going to want better tires and have to suck it up, Buttercup. Okay, tires done. Um, so we're still negotiating the 2021 Concord Agreement. We don't have a lot of details, but what we know so far is that um, John Todd has, or actually no, um, Ferrari has come out and said that they're keeping their veto. Okay. Um, Ferrari says they're keeping their veto. Nobody else said that they're no, keeping it. No, it sounds like even the FIA is uh, saying that it's going to be in the next Concord Agreement that Ferrari will still have the veto. So when was the last time that Ferrari used that veto? Honestly, I don't know. It's actually in 2015. Okay. Um, 
Ferrari blocked a move to introduce a maximum price for engines and gearboxes. Okay. So they blocked cost cap. Well, naturally, because they don't have a bottom to their budget. So we'll see where this goes. Um, also word that after 2021, it's looking like engine development, the, uh, the FIA will start to freeze components there. Now, they did this back 2012, 2013, towards the end of the V8 era as well. Of They started to lock this down. And it, it, it does serve as a bit of an equalizer. It also mm-hmm. helps to control costs for the teams because they're, they can't pour as much money into engine development. Um, word is that the rumblings of this happening was part of the reason why Honda is willing to stick around. Uh, Honda at this point is very supportive of freezing engine development. Um, not from a perspective that the engine is particularly successful, just that it means that they don't necessarily have to keep shove- shoveling money into the engine development piece. I can understand that. Or at least as many areas of the engine development. You so, can understand and appreciate that. Yeah. Um, Sebastian Vettel did not attend Thursday Media Days. At the I Army bet Day. he did not have a good excuse whatsoever. Um, I bet he just blew it off because he was being Vettel. Well, if that had happened, he would have gotten a fairly significant fine. He's Vettel. He could afford it. Um, And while he could afford it, he was excused. He was given an excused absence. Who wrote his note? Um, I'm not sure if it was the FIA or Ferrari, but both were were in agreement that this was a valid excuse. Um, He had his third child and his first son. Okay. Um, so his wife wrote him a note. Yeah, pretty much. So again, third child uh, joins Emily, born in 2014, and Matilda, born in 2015. And oh, by the way, since most people don't know this, Seb's wife, her name is Hannah. Oh. We have all of that info. Finally. Yes. Um, but where folks did get into trouble, Ferrari got... A big fine. Wait, we know the two girls' names. Yes. We know Hannah's name. Yes. Do we know the boy's name? Come on, can we get them all? Um, uh, no. <laughs> Vettel boy. <laughs> Vettel boy. Okay. Not yet. We'll have to wait till fourth son comes along. But, you know, and and this reminds me, because I don't think we have ever seen this happen before. But this weekend, we saw Seb's dad at the track. Yes. I don't think we've ever seen any of his family before. Any any family whatsoever join him at any race anywhere, or at least if they've been there, to get on camera. I don't know. I always thought they had a non-disclosure agreement that they couldn't admit they were part of Vettel's family. I mean, he is insanely private. Yeah. And I I understand and I get it. But it's also, it's like, maybe open some of that up a little. I mean, you don't have to go to Lewis Hamilton level of yeah. openness. But you don't have to go to... And the, the thing is, when Seb relaxes and lets his hair down... He's funny. He, he really is funny and he's really personable. It's when 
for, for lack of a better term, when he is in racing mode, mm-hmm. he is, he's got problems. <laughs> the red tide comes in. The red mist, yes. Now, speaking of family, I mm-hmm. do have to make this comment. There was a shot of um, Kimi Raikkonen's wife and son. I think it was. Normally, they go and they, they put the names there, and I think that's who that was, but I'm not positive. I'm pretty sure that that was his son. I'm hopeful that that's adorable kid <laughs> well she's a model i don't care that kid's adorable <laughs> oh blonde hair blue eye little finish boy oh my <laughs> i mean cute cute kid you know considering i think so little of kimmy raikkonen i'm kind of impressed that he's got a good looking kid okay <laughs> yeah. so final race of the the season abu dhabi we're getting a puppy we're not getting a puppy. <laughs> um, there, you've had all the excitement of that race right there. You know, earlier this week, there was a story on Autosport, and you had to be a subscriber to read it, but it made some really good points about why Abu Dhabi should not be the final race of the season. Okay. A lot of it was the fact that, you know, we had the race in Brazil this year, and there were a ton of talking points, and there was a lot of stuff that, you're going to remember about Brazil for a while. And the year before that, Brazil, we're still talking about um, Max Verstappen and Esteban Ocon getting a tangle up and, and all of that stuff. And that Brazil tends to have dramatic races. Correct. Abu Dhabi does not. Even when the title happens to be decided in Abu Dhabi, it is rarely a memorable race that gets it there. And this year's race, not memorable. Not memorable at all. And really, that's what you want in a season finale is a memorable race. Yes, it's a pretty track. Yes, the visuals of the sun going down and shifting over to a night race partway through and all is cool. But the racing just isn't there. Okay. There were some pieces of the Abu Dhabi race this year that I think were noteworthy. There were. I mean, Valtteri Valtteri Bottas passing without DRS in the first. and, And I have not seen why we didn't have DRS. Oh, they explained it during the race. Before well, I take my nap. No, they, they have They explained what the system was, and, and where, but we haven't gotten confirmation from the FIA as to exactly what broke and why. Yeah. That's what I'm waiting on. Oh, I thought it was because it, they explained it that it was part of the connected system for other lights and well, things. Well, they or... talked about how it was the, the connected system, but what broke? We don't know. The computer needed to be rebooted, but yeah. I mean, last a fourth? Pretty impressive. It, it was. I mean, there were some really cool mid-pack things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was it. Yeah, sorry. I, I thought there was more. Um, <laughs> well, you know, e- even the um, even the, the folks over at Sky are like, okay, and now we're at the point of the race at Abu Dhabi where things just kind of settle down and we wait for something to happen. <laughs> yeah. That was their words, not mine, man. (laughs) Waiting for a safety car that never showed up. And I didn't think there was going to be. 
I actually got that one correct and that there was no safety card I on the correct. fantasy. It's probably GP. the only thing I got correct. Um, yeah. We'll talk about fantasy GP. We will talk about our predictions, which did not get posted this year, but we did do predictions. We'll talk about all of that in our next show. Okay. Um, just because, you know, it's the end of the season. We need stuff to talk about. So really the only thing of note that happened was Ferrari got in trouble with Charles Leclerc. Right. And everybody before, so right before the race started, there was a technical directive that came down mm-hmm. that said that what it said was that the Leclerc's car had a different, a significantly different amount of fuel yeah. than what they said they put in it. Yeah, the, the fuel check revealed a significant difference between a declaration from the team and the amount of fuel inside the car. So this was an alleged brief of FIA Technical Directive TD-14-9 and was referred to the stewards who waited until after the race to investigate. So everybody assumed, Christian Horner specifically, assumed that the amount of fuel that was in that car was over or under the regulation. And, and it wasn't just Christian Horner. Everybody said it. Everybody's it assuming that thing. And, okay, so... The, the statement kept the statement you either are or you aren't you either are or you aren't it's what they kept saying mm-hmm. and then i went out this afternoon and i came home and you said you first thing you said when i walked in the door ferrari got a fine and i said wait a minute why was it fine it's either you are or you aren't and he said and you said no they just got a fine for it and i said wait a minute what they said in the technical directive was that what ferrari has to declare how much fuel they put in the car mm-hmm and what they found in the car was significantly different. But nowhere did it say that it was within the above or below the fuel load that was supposed to be in the car. But but the thing is, so, so where the issue is, it, it doesn't change the penalties that, that they can assess. But where the issue is, is that the amount, so... The teams are required to declare the amount of fuel in a car for the reconnaissance lap to the grid, the formation lap, the race, the lap back to the pits, and any fire-ups that would be needed. Mm-hmm. What was found is that what was what Ferrari reported to the stewards and what Joe Bauer's technical team discovered, there was a difference of 4.88 kilograms. Now, we don't know if the car was light or the car was heavy. All we know is it was a difference of 4.88 kilograms. Because there was a difference, and 4 kilograms is considered significant, they were in violation of the technical rules. Period. And that's where, regardless of fuel flow, regardless of anything else, the penalty could be up to disqualification. Correct. But there's a subsequent technical regulation that says you can only have 110 kilos of fuel on board the car. Right. Everybody assumed that the technical declaration, this was the assumption at the beginning of the race and all the way through the race, was that the violation was on that 110 kilograms, not on the declaration of the fuel being different than what was actually there. So so I don't think that that was quite where they were at yet. It was definitely a possibility that they could have gone over. But the other thing and, and was maybe they, they underfueled it. Mm-hmm. Which was always a Which, again, yeah, they didn't break the rule for being over. But if that differential is there and they underfueled it, they're still in violation. 
regardless of anything else. What the FIA decided an hour after the race mm-hmm. was that they would not disqualify Charles Leclerc, but instead fine the team 50,000 euros for the inaccurate declaration. It's just pocket change for Manita. It, it is. Um, now, it means that uh, Leclerc kept his third-place finish. Mm-hmm. And I'm of two minds here. One, and, and, and some of it is because I don't, again, have the full understanding. Were they over? Were they under? And what happened that triggered the difference? Was this carelessness? Was this see if we could get away with it because it's random sample? I don't know. But the other thing is that, and, and it's the same kind of issue with an unsafe release. This, or, or uh, um, you know, failing to put a tire on the car. It's not the driver's fault. Right. The driver didn't do this. The driver has no control over it. So turning around and disqualifying the car and taking the result away from the driver for something that the team did, but the driver didn't, that's always something that, that that's always... It hasn't really sat well with me. But in this case, the team got fined 50,000 euros. But Leclerc didn't get penalized. Mm-hmm. Leclerc had no role in what happened. Right. What I think might have made better sense, and I don't know if there's even a mechanism to do it, is that instead of turning around and, and fining Ferrari 50,000 euros, they say... Leclerc keeps his, his his podium. He keeps his points for driver's standing. Ferrari forfeits constructor's points on the car. And that way, the team is penalized for the infraction, but the driver is not. I would love to see that be part of the new Concord Agreement, where penalties are not dollars, not fine. Well, in this case, it would it would be dollar, and and that's the well, whole thing. Well, it's it's, it's prize dollars money to dollars. the team as it's, opposed to dollars to the driver. It's prize money dollars, mm-hmm. not fine dollars. But team errors result in constructor point loss. Driver errors re- result in driver point loss, mm-hmm. and those two are separate tallies. Well, they forfeit but the I third think sometimes place there the needs con- to be there, there needs to be some overlap and and you know yeah. because the team needs to manage the drivers but in this case the driver had no role in this mm-hmm. I, I just think that there there I would like to see some separation in that um and it be done on the point basis but of course that does mean that the accountants would have to do more work because they'd have to tally things you can't just take two drivers and add their numbers and that be the constructor points. There's no shortage of number crunchers who could handle that for them. Okay, but it's F1. All the boffins are doing strategy. No, there's ones. There are accountants too. They've got, they, they might run out of boffins over there. Somebody has to count dump trucks full of money. Yeah, that's no, Bernie. Um. <laughs> yeah, speaking of which... What was the river troll doing in the desert this weekend? <laughs> Man, that sh- guy gets shorter every time we see him. <laughs> every single time I keep going, wow, is he short. <laughs> he is very short. Um, 
other news. Let's let's get away from the river troll. We, we, we hit that one. We're good. Um, apparently, uh, Sean Bratches may not be remaining with the organization for too much longer. Oh, they're putting a no eyebrows rule in? Um, <laughs> you must groom your eyebrows? Chase Carey says that no decision has been made on the future of commercial bro- boss Sean Bratches and that the pair will discuss options once the season is over. Mm. So at least what Chase is saying is that the issue isn't around performance. Oh, you know, bringing FanFest to Chicago and royally screwing it up? Screwing it up terribly in what, according to him, is the largest sports market. Was it in the U.S. or in the world? I think it was in the U.S. Yeah, and and totally screwing it up. Royally. Um, The issue is work-life balance. So the problem is, and, and... I, I think it, it needs whoever holds this role needs to, needs to be doing this. But the problem is that um, Sean's family is in the U.S. Mm-hmm. His job is in London. Okay. He works out of the London office, even though the family is in the U.S. And on top of that, he attends almost every Grand Prix. And someone in that role as the commercial head of f1 in charge of marketing and promotions really should go to most races Mm -hmm. so yeah it's having an issue on the personal and family life you know i could work on my cv for this job you could i have a marketing background you could you would come to all the races with me you would have to make so much money that I wouldn't need to work anymore. You would be a miserable, miserable stay-at-home dad. I would be. You'd be so bored it would not be funny. But I would not have a job that would let me take the personal, the, the private jet, the private Formula One jet to the races and have the time off that I need. It wouldn't work. I think you could have to, you, you'd work it out. Okay. I mean, um, I have to get the job before you quit yours, so don't go yeah, turning that, in your... <laughs> now, the, the other thing Chase says is that at this point, you know, he, he's saying that there have been rumors that, that he may be on the way out and maybe Toto Wolf could be stepping in. Um, he says he's not going anywhere. That 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 now those rumors. He, he, this is, he, he, yes, he has a short term deal and he's old, but he's not leaving. Yeah, it's not up for for leaving just yet. Toto's not leaving Mercedes right now. No, there's no reason. So now that we're at the end of the season. Um, Valtteri at least for extracurricular activities uh, he's going to be taking part if you want to work on your, your stocking of Valtteri now that he is single <laughs> wait but I'm not and I think I'm too old for him there you go uh, he will be taking part in the rally circuit Cote d'Azur event at Paul Ricard next weekend Okay. Uh, he will be 
testing a Citroen DS3 WRC car. Um, that's his car. He made his debut in the Lapland Rally in his home country in January, where he took a stage win and finished fifth overall in a Ford Fiesta WRC. Now, at this point, he says as much as he enjoys rallying, um, he has not made a decision that that is what he will do when he leaves F1. Oh, okay. And finally, in what are you doing after Formula One? So Jensen, he, um, he has left the Super Formula Series in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, his first year in Super Formula went really well. They, they won the championship. Um, second season was not very good at all. They had a lot of car problems and did not do particularly well. Uh-uh. Um, so he has left Super Formula. He did make uh, a few weeks ago his um, Baja 1000 debut uh, down in Mexico. And it didn't go well. Oh, no. Um, so him and his co-driver, Terry Madden, waited 17 hours to be rescued. Because at mile 235, they heard a really loud clatter and lost drive. Because they had broken the differential. Um, so they managed to break down in one of the most remote places possible on the entire uh, circuit. Uh, spent the whole night and a total of 17 hours under the stars. He says the only people they saw were other racers asking them to wipe their dirty light bars clean. Oh, my. Yeah. He became support crew. 17 hours in the desert. 17 hours in the desert with Jensen. Okay. Okay. They were fueled by energy bars and a fire that needed constant help as all they could find were twigs. <laughs> Survival skills are not something that's taught in F1 school, I take it. Yeah. Okay. By the way, he, Jensen's got a new book. He does? Yes, How to Be a Race Driver. Is that what I need to read to get my super license? Maybe you should start there. That in my, my Sharpie, and I will have super... <laughs> I studied the book. <laughs> I could totally drive for Haas. Ooh. I'm, I'm sure Haas is where you want to aim at right now. Well, I mean... Alfarb. Yeah, but they have a world champion that doesn't talk. Alfarb. I don't know. I, I, I mean... I think I could do better than Giovinazzi, right? I mean, at this point, I kind of could do better than Kubica, is I think what I have to shoot for. yeah, there's that. (laughs) Williams is a family team. And I'm a family. There you go. (laughs) And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Is is everybody gone? (laughs) Huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.